we step into this Independence Day weekend, it is proper that we think about commitment because that is not only a subject that the Bible has a lot to say about, it's not only a subject our text has a lot to say about, but it echoes down through the history of our nation. Our forefathers in this country were committed, committed to the struggle for independence. I mean, nobody probably portrays that better than Patrick Henry when he said, give me liberty or give me death. I mean, that's commitment. And I wonder as we think about that and as we reflect on the text this morning, if we are as committed spiritually as they were committed for physical, national independence. You know, when a television camera pans the sideline at a football game, the football players all seem to go like this. You know, we're number one, even if their record doesn't indicate that. You never, never have I seen in all the games I've watched any football player do this. We're number two. Because nobody thinks of themselves, nobody aspires to be second. There's a commitment. And yet I wonder how often spiritually do we decide to settle? How often do we decide that, that good enough is far enough to go for God? Instead of doing what we just sang Take my life and let it be consecrated. Don't stop. Don't say, take my life and let it be. Most people, a lot of people would sing that. Let it be consecrated to you, Lord. I want us to look at some people in the book of Joshua this morning who demonstrate commitment, commitment to follow on. And so I invite you to turn in your Bibles or on your electronic devices to Joshua chapter 22. Because as we come to Joshua 22, as we begin to wind, wind down this great book, we see some people who challenge us to be committed. In fact, I'd suggest to you that as we look at this book, at this chapter together, it allows us to evaluate our commitment. It allows us to ask some questions of where we are in our spiritual commitment. So let's begin at a good place to begin, chapter 22, verse 1. At that time, Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. That is a group of two and a half tribes, half a tribe because the other half of the tribe, as we'll see later, was going to be in the land of promise. The two and a half tribes come to Joshua, he calls them. We've seen them before. In fact, they pop up periodically in the book of Joshua as key characters. And so rather than every time we see them on the outline saying the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, you'll notice I've shortened it to the 2.5 tribes, the two and a half tribes, because that's who they are. We met them all the way back at the beginning of the book. These two and a half tribes made a commitment to help the other tribes, to help them take their land. And way back there at the beginning of the book of Joshua, chapter 1, 
we saw that commitment. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing for you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you and they take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. So they had promised Moses that they would go across into the land and help the other tribes. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. That was their commitment. We will do this. We will fulfill our promise. We will be committed to what we said. And so 40,000 of the soldiers of those two and a half tribes indeed enter the land to fight with the other tribes. Chapter 4 tells us that. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel as Moses had told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. And when we looked at chapter 4, I suggested to you that they, they, they were in one sense the, the shock troops because their wives, their children, their livestock are back home and they don't have any of those encumbrances as they go to war. The other soldiers did. And so these 40,000 become a vanguard invading the land and fighting side by side with the other tribes. Now, I don't know whether there was a rotation. We're not told. Maybe those 40,000 got to go home for a while while others came and fought. But whatever was happening, for seven years, they fought side by side, fulfilling the commitment that they had made. And now as we reach chapter 22, the land is largely pacified. You could write across their commitment, mission accomplished. They were finished. And Joshua now commends them for keeping their commitment. They had done well. And he tells them that they have done well. They've been faithful. Look at verse 2 with me and verse 3 and notice words of commitment in Joshua's commendation. Joshua says to them, You have kept all that Moses the servant of the Lord commanded you and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. There's a phrase that pops up three times, the idea of keeping and obeying. It's actually, in the Hebrew word is shamar. It means to guard something. It's a key word. You'll, we'll see it two more times later on in verse 5. You have guarded the commands Moses gave you. You have heard what I said to you and obeyed all that I commanded. You've not abandoned your fellow tribesmen, but you've fought with them. You have carefully kept, you've shamarred the charge. It's literally the same word, the command of the Lord your God. So they've been faithful to what they said to Moses. They've been faithful to what they promised Joshua. 
They've been faithful to their countrymen, and most of all, they have been faithful to God. And after seven long, hard, dangerous years away from family and home, years of battle, the mission's been accomplished. And Joshua gives them an honorable discharge from the army. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Therefore, turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. That's their honorable discharge. He commends them. He says, you've done what you promised to do. You have kept your commitment. So here's the question that you and I need to ask ourselves as we look at their example. Can I be counted on to help others in their spiritual quest? Is my focus just about me? Or am I focused on others around me and helping them, keeping my word to help them grow? When you and I joined Berean Baptist Church, if you're a member, we agreed to a church covenant. Let me just read a little bit of that covenant to you. Some of the commitments that we made as we became part of this body of believers We commit to gathering regularly for the worship of our triune God. We commit to spend regular time in God's word and prayer. We commit that if God blesses us with children, we will train them according to the word of God. We commit by our lives and our words to seek the salvation of our relatives, friends, and acquaintances. We commit to being faithfully involved in the ministries of this church. We commit to praying for and pursuing unity, peace, and well-being of this local church. So we will put the interests and well-being of others above our personal preferences. We commit to cheerfully giving and regularly giving to the expenses of the church. We commit to obeying God and following the leadership of this church as it follows God. We will guard the reputation of this church by repenting and confessing our sins. We commit to working with this church to fulfill our Lord's great commission. We commit to being morally pure in our relationships and honest and truthful in all our actions at home, at work, and in our community. We commit to abstain from any kind of speech, personal habit, activity, or substance that hinders our testimony or causes spiritual harm to another's faith in Christ. We commit to rejoice in each other's happiness and bear each other's burdens and sorrows, to pray for each other and to help each other. We commit to kindness in speech, to being slow to take offense, and being always ready for reconciliation with one another. Can I be counted on to fulfill my commitment to help others in their spiritual quest? But that's not something we do in our own strength because the covenant ends with these words, in all these things we rely on our God who has made a new and everlasting covenant with us. So we're not committing to these things in a vacuum. We're not committing to these things in our own strength. In fact, the covenant opens by saying, having been led by the grace of God to repent and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior goes on it says we do now relying on God's grace and the enabling power of the Holy Spirit 
we commit to these things. So I don't want you to hear in anything that we say this morning, well, we just got to suck it up and, and, and really work hard. We need commitment, but that commitment is based on what Jesus Christ has done for us in dying for us, in the new covenant that he's made with us. And so now because of what he does in our lives, we minister to other people. And so we need to ask ourselves, can I be counted on to help others in their spiritual quest? Am I involved in ministry? Am I involved in other people's lives? Am I encouraging them and praying? Will I stay committed if it gets hard, like seven years of warfare hard the Israelites had? Even if things don't go my way, even if the the next pastor isn't the guy I would have picked, will I be committed? Can I be counted on? It's a story from a number of years ago about a group of traveling salesmen back in the day when that was more popular. They all got stuck in a motel together because there was a massive snow and ice storm. And as the storm began to, to peter out, Every time somebody would make it to the motel, they'd say, how are the roads? Are they passable? Finally, one gentleman came in and they said, how are the roads? Can we get out? Can can we go make sales calls? And the man smiled and he said, that depends. And he said, what do you mean it depends? It depends on whether you're on salary or commission. (laughs) Because if you're on salary, you're staying put. But if you're on commission, you're going to work. You're going to get out there. I wonder how often we view ourselves in our commitment to Christ to being kind of on salary. We just kind of lay back and take it easy. We're we're content with being number two. Well, Joshua continues on. And now he challenges the two and a half tribes to persevere in that commitment. He wants them to understand this isn't just a seven-year thing. In fact, in verse 5 we see some of the very same language we saw in verses 2 and 3. Only be very careful to observe. That's Shamar again. Guard the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all His ways and to keep, to Shamar His commandments and to cling to Him and serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. See how the language now echoes on? Keep occurs, shamar occurs twice, command three times, all occurs three times. Your military obligation may be over, but your commitment isn't, Joshua is saying to them. There's no resting on your laurels. There's no saying, well, I was committed for seven years, or I was committed for six months, or I was committed for for ten years, and now I can just coast. Joshua says, no, 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 no. Persevere in that commitment. Be careful to obey God's commands and God's law. Do what God calls us to do. Love the Lord Yahweh, your God. In other words, this isn't just a rote obedience. That's often what Israel fell into, and you and I can fall into it. This is relationship. Love, be connected to Jehovah, your God, who rescued you. Walk in His ways. Follow His guidance. Follow His direction. Not just during the seven years of warfare, but from here on as well. Keep, guard His commands. And then I love the last phrase, cling to Him. Be glued 
to him with affection and loyalty. It's, it's really language that's used sometimes of marriage. Have a close personal relationship with God so that you serve him with all of your being, all of your heart, and all of your soul. So he's calling them, he's calling us by extension to being committed, not just yesterday and not just today, but continually on into the future. Joshua sounds a lot here like Moses. If you read the book of Deuteronomy, you'd hear some of these same things popping up. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Joshua has become in many ways a Moses-like figure as he winds down his career and as he calls them and challenges them to persevere in their commitment. And then he turns around and he blesses them for their commitment. So he challenges them and then he encourages them. And in essence, he says to them, you've done well, but don't stop. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away and they went to their tents. Now, to the one half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan across the Jordan. But to the other half, Joshua had given a possession beside their brothers in the land west of the Jordan. We just get that kind of as an aside here, but I think it's a hint. I I think it's a foreshadowing because here you have a tribe that's been divided. So half of them are on one side of the Jordan and half of them are on the other side of the Jordan. Half of them are in the land of Canaan, half of them are outside. And I think it foreshadows some of the problems that are coming that will be ongoing in the nation of Israel. But don't miss how, how these verses begin and end. Joshua blessed them, and then it says, and when Joshua sent them away to their homes and blessed them, he blesses them because they have been committed to doing what they promised to do, but don't stop. That commitment has led to blessing. Even a material blessing. Joshua tells them, go back to your tents with much wealth and with very much livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, and iron, and with much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brothers. During this seven years of warfare, he says, you've collected a lot of material goods from the conquest. Now when you go back, share those with those who stayed at home and protected that land that you had left. Because you've been blessed. And you've been blessed because you have been committed. Don't stop. Persevere. Which leads to the second question that allows us to evaluate our commitment that I draw out of this passage. Is my pursuit of God continual or sporadic? Is my pursuit of God a lifelong commitment Or is it on and off again? See, real commitment presses on. Real commitment doesn't quit whatever the circumstances. Real commitment understands that that this is a marathon, not a sprint. And that we need to be in it not for a short period, and seven years for them was not short, but for life. Came across this cartoon a while back bunch of lemmings going off the cliff and one looks at the other and says, I'm beginning to wonder about Larry's commitment to the faith. I'm assuming Larry's the one with the parachute. (laughs) 
And I am not suggesting that we ought to be mindless lemmings running off a cliff, but I am saying that very often we bail on our commitment. We pull the ripcord on the parachute on our commitment. It's not enough to be a Sunday Christian. We need to be followers of Jesus Christ seven days out of the week. It's not enough to start well in our commitment. We have to finish. And so I ask you, as I evaluate myself from this passage, are we continuing to obey and to follow God daily, or have we just begun to kind of drift along? Are we reading God's Word and talking to Him in prayer regularly, or are we just kind of sporadic? Are we leading our family? Are we serving? Or are we just coasting? Are we just settling for being number two? The the two and a half tribes serve as an example of commitment. But there is an issue. There's a tension point with them that we haven't really dealt with as they popped up throughout the book. And that is, what in the world are they doing on the other side, on the east side of the Jordan River? And, And should they be there? And so as we move on into the text... We have to ask ourselves the question, and we have to wonder if the commitment of the two and a half tribes may have been compromised by unwise choices. One of the tensions, one of the questions is, did they stop short? And there's a lot of debate if you pick up the, the authors about, and they take this passage. They debate on whether it was right or it wasn't right. But there's a tension Because while Moses, if you go back to Numbers 32, was initially horrified when they asked to stay on that eastern side of the Jordan, he eventually agrees. And as we've seen, he says, as long as you go over and fight with the other tribes for their land, you can have this land. But you have to wonder what's going through Moses' mind. Because he's standing there on that side of the Jordan and God has told him, You aren't going into the promised land. And now he sees these two and a half tribes who are content to stay where he can be and not go where he can't go. And yet, as the passages unfold, Moses does give them permission to stay on that eastern side of the Jordan. We saw it in verse 4. It's the land which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Verse 9 says, So the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned home to their own land of which they had possessed themselves by command of the Lord through Moses. So did they stop short or didn't they? Did they make a bad choice? Did they make an unwise choice? If you go back to Numbers 32, you'd find that, that they based their choice on sight. Numbers 32 verse 1 says, when they saw how rich the pasture lands were, they asked Moses for that land. In the Pentateuch, starting in Genesis chapter 3, when Eve sees that the fruit is good and it's not, that idea of seeing, like when Lot looks out over the plains and says, wow, that land around Sodom and Gomorrah is really nice, I see it looks good. The idea of seeing is often a dangerous thing in the Pentateuch, but again, They're not condemned. Moses allows it. 
Joshua says, God gave you the land by command of the Lord through Moses. But I have to wonder, sometimes, sometimes God gives us what we want, even though it's not his best. And I wonder if that's what's happening here. Because the tension point is, That Moses can't enter the land of promise and they're not going to be living in the land of promise. Canaan and the promised land is always west of the Jordan. Look at verse 10. And when they came to the region of the Jordan that is in the land of Canaan. Or verse 32, we'll get there in a couple of weeks. Then Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest and the chiefs, returned from the people of Reuben and the people of Gad in the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan, to the people of Israel. Or verse 9, so the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned home, parting from the people of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the land of of Gilead. Over and over again in chapter 22, Canaan is contrasted with Gilead and even Israel with the two and a half tribes. And so we begin to see an us and them kind of mentality developing. In fact, six or seven times Canaan and Gilead are contrasted and nine or ten times the Israel's contrasted with the two and a half tribes. Parting from the people of Israel. Or verse 11, the people of Israel heard it said, Behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built the altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region about the Jordan on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. And then we have to be careful with verse 19 because when Scripture records people's words, it is an accurate and an inspired recording of their words. It doesn't always mean their words are inspired. But it is telling what Israel says to the two and a half tribes. But now if the land of your possession is unclean, pass over into the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take for yourselves a possession among us. While that Eastern region, the Transjordan, we often call it, is part of the larger boundaries that God talked about giving to Abraham. It is the land of Canaan that is always viewed as the promised land. It's the land of Canaan that is always viewed as the heart of God's possession and blessing. And having experienced the blessings and the battles of that part of the land, these two and a half tribes move back out to the fringes. And I can't say as I look at it that they were sinning. I'm not even 100% certain, and you can disagree with me if you want. I'm not even 100% certain we can say they made an unwise choice that God allowed, but I do think it's worth considering. And their unwise choices, if that's what they were, put them at risk. First of all, it sets up Israel to be divided by the Jordan River. And you can already see in what we've read, there's already becoming an us over here on the the west versus you over here on the east. And that's going to become intensified in a couple of weeks. They are now closer to the enemy than they are to the tabernacle of God. 
They are closer to the pagan worshipers and idolaters than they are to the place of worship for God. They become a buffer zone between Moab and Ammon, enemies of Israel, and the nation proper. And so they experience a lot of warfare. And in fact, they will be among the first tribes to go into captivity when the Assyrians come. Because choices have consequences, and it may well be that the two and a half tribes settled for being number two, for lessening their commitment that they'd shown so well during the seven years of battle to living on the fringe. Whether that is the case or not, it doesn't change the question that comes for us. Because there is an evaluation question out of their experience. Am I stopping short of all that God has for me? See, when commitment wanes, when we're content to kind of coast and say, you know, I'm I'm okay with being number two. I'm not going to try for number one. We're not being all that God has designed for us. Jesus Christ died for us. Paul says that we are seated today in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. And yet a lot of us are content to just kind of play around in the mud of this world instead of living out what Christ has done for us. And the challenge for Israel and the challenge for us is keep going in the commitment. Don't stop short. Pablo Casals was a world-renowned cellist. In fact, he won the Presidential Medal of Freedom. He was known across the world for his cello playing. He lived to be 97 years old. When he was around 90, somebody heard him diligently practicing for hours. And they said to him, at your stage of life and with your accomplishment, why are you still practicing so much? And he smiled and he said, I think I'm noticing some improvement. (laughs) Now, we can question whether that was true or not, but we cannot question his commitment, can we? Say, I have come this far. I'm not stopping. I'm going to keep going. And so I'd ask you this morning here in the worship center or watching online, are are, are you keeping going? Or are you dancing on the fringes of church life, of commitment? Are you attending Worship some kind of sporadically, haphazardly when it's convenient? Or are you committed to gathering to worship? Are you part of a local body of believers? Are you serving in areas where you can and and age and other factors influence that? But we don't stop until the Lord takes us home. We have to be committed to growing to know God personally. Connecting others relationally and serving sacrificially and hopefully that sounds a little familiar to some of you because that's part of our mission statement as a church our we are committed to developing fully devoted followers of christ fully committed followers of christ for the glory of god commitment we have to ask ourselves how well are we doing Are we settling? Are we pressing on in our commitment? The passage in front of us allows us just to ask some questions, to evaluate how we're doing, 
to say, you know, I, I'm going to keep pressing on. A few years ago, I read a, a, an interview that CNN did as they were doing a story on vegetarians. They came across one young woman who said that she was really a flexitarian. She says, I usually eat vegetables and eat vegetarian, but I really like sausage. Sometimes I feel like I'm a bad vegetarian, that I'm not strict enough or good enough. I really like vegetarian food. I'm just not 100% committed. And that's not bad if you're talking about being a vegetarian. It's, you know. But if that would be the statement you'd make, about your spiritual commitment, then it's a problem. The lesson of this passage is serve others. Pursue knowing God and don't stop. Or as Moses said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as Jesus added, love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray. Father, it is human nature to relax our commitment, to push through, to accomplish something, and then to step back and say, well, now I can coast. And that's probably fine as we work with the different endeavors in our daily lives, but it's not fine spiritually. So I pray that you would help me, that you would help my brothers and sisters in Christ here in this worship center, those watching online, to say, I'm going to persevere in my commitment. I'm going to press on until the day Jesus takes me home. Lord, help us as your followers to be salt and light, to be committed to your law, to your truth, to your way, to loving you, to being glued to you, even as our culture around us deteriorates. Pray in Jesus' name.